you have your Bibles, if you take it out with me, our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 6. We'll be reading verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 6, 17 through 20. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. The very first book that we read for the book club here at Hope Baptist Church was Pilgrim's Progress. It is a book that every Christian should read in a modern translation. The book was written by John Bunyan hundreds of years ago in England. And John Bunyan had a lot of similarities to the Apostle Paul, whose letter to the Ephesians we have been reading over the past couple of months. Just like Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians from a prison cell, John Bunyan also wrote his letter or wrote his book, Pilgrim's Progress, while he was in prison for sharing his faith in Jesus Christ. Like Paul, John Bunyan saw the Christian life as a war between the church and Satan and his spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when you hear John Bunyan say that all of us as Christians are, are pilgrims making a journey toward God, you might think that a pilgrim looks like the guy in the picture that I brought with me today. You might think that's, that's what a pilgrim looks like. Well, this might be what pilgrims looked like in Massachusetts in the 1600s. It might be. But when both John Bunyan and the Apostle Paul thought about Christian pilgrims making a journey toward heaven, they thought instead of soldiers who were fighting against Satan. They thought about that rather than people who liked their fashion in basic black. So in one section of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan writes about a fight between a pilgrim named Christian and a demon named Apollyon. Bunyan writes, Then Apollyon sprang across the highway in front of Christian and said, I am without fear in this matter. Prepare yourself to die, for I swear by all the infernal powers that you shall go no farther. I will take your soul right here. Then he hurled a flaming dart at Christian's heart. But Christian held out his shield, and he blocked it. Christian drew his sword and braced himself for battle. Apollyon came on with all of his force. Here Christian remembered effectual prayer, and he took courage. They fought up and down the highway for half an hour. At one point, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. But as God would have it, Christian's hand touched his sword, which gave him fresh spirit. He gripped the sword with all of his might, and he said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise again, giving Apollyon a deadly thrust, which caused him to fall back as if mortally wounded. Summoning all of his strength, Christian rose to his feet and advanced toward him. He cried out, In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This was too much for Apollyon. He spread his wings and flew away. Both John Bunyan and the Apostle Paul agree. 
We are pilgrim soldiers who are fighting against Satan on our journey toward heaven. And so I'd like for us to look at Ephesians chapter 6 today to see some of the armor that we need for our journey toward heaven. First of all, you need the armor of the helmet of salvation for fighting against Satan. This instruction from Paul for Christians comes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. There we read, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the Roman soldier's helmet that he put on when he was writing to the Ephesians, when Paul was writing to them, was made out of bronze. And it protected most of his head, as well with separate pieces that protected the forehead, even the neck. It is important that we remember that our salvation from God's judgment, which is symbolized by the helmet, is not earned by our own hard work and effort. If you brought your Bible here today, and I hope you did, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. There we read Paul write, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So who gave to us our salvation? Paul says it is the gift of God. God gave us salvation when we repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, that he died for our sins on the cross. Our salvation then is not coming to us because of our good works. Our salvation comes by faith in the fact that Jesus died the death that we should have died for our sin so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life instead. The fact that salvation from God's judgment is a gift of God is also brought out in Isaiah's mention of the helmet of salvation in Isaiah 59 in verse 17. Let's read those verses together as well. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now the he in this verse refers to God. And the verse speaks about the armor of God that he put on before God himself went into battle with Satan. So who is the original owner of the helmet of salvation? Who owned it to begin with? That was God. And who then gives us in the church this helmet to wear in battle? God gives it to us. This helmet, this salvation is a gift from God. We did not earn it in any way. So here is a very important question then about our salvation. When did our salvation from God's judgment take place? If you look again at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, you read, For by grace you have been saved. Our salvation then took place in the past when we put our faith in Christ to save us from our sin. It's true that God's verdict regarding our judgment will take place on Judgment Day, after Christ returns. But the fact is that we as Christians have been saved by grace in the past. We enjoy our salvation today in the present. 
And we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we will be saved by God in the future. How can we have such assurance of our salvation? Because our salvation has nothing to do with us and our good works. It has everything to do with Jesus and his work on the cross of dying for our sin. As long as your faith is in Jesus and not in yourself, you can know with confidence that God will bring you to heaven one day. And if you are confident that in the end you will be saved by God, that helmet of salvation will give you great confidence as you fight against Satan. No matter what happens in the battle, you are going to win. That is the confidence that people who wear the helmet of salvation have. You ever watched eight-year-old boys playing peewee football? When they first learn the game of football, the boys don't practice at first with pads and with helmets. Instead, they're just learning the game without all of the gear. And so they are afraid at first of getting hurt out there on the field. But what happens when those boys receive their helmets from their coaches? What happens to them? There is this amazing transformation that takes place. Those boys turn into 60 pounds of kamikaze warriors. They're indestructible out there on the football field, and they feel indestructible because of the helmet that they are wearing. Now, of course, those boys are, are not indestructible. They need to learn proper tackling techniques from their coaches, and they need to learn about the danger of concussions. But the point is that those boys have confidence when they play because of the helmet that they have been given. How much more confidence does the helmet of salvation that God has given to us give us as we fight against Satan? We can be completely confident that ultimately we are going to win because we have the helmet of salvation. Church, do you have such confidence? Do you know that you have been saved, that you are saved today, and that you will be saved at one point in the future? If you don't, Satan will be able to easily defeat you in battle. You need to be sure of your salvation. You need to wear the helmet of salvation at all times. And so if you want help in becoming sure of your salvation, talk to me or to one of the other pastors after our service. We'd be glad to help you get to the place where you are sure of your salvation. Well, you need the helmet of salvation if you're going to fight Satan. But you also need the sword of the Spirit. This is the second command of Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this sword that was used by Roman soldiers is not one of those long swords that you might see in a fencing match. It was instead a short sword that might be about 18 inches long, a double-edged sword that was powerful for use in both offense and defense in battle. The sword, Paul says in Ephesians 6, is the word of God. It is the Bible. 
How powerful is the Bible in our fight against Satan? I'd like for us to read out loud together from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Let's read together. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible has the power to slice up the human spirit like a hot knife through butter. You have experienced the sword of the Bible in your own life when you have read something in the Bible that convicts you of your sin. And as you read the scripture and you see how you have sinned, you say to yourself, ouch, that hurts, because you know that the Spirit is speaking directly to you. The Bible also says that it has the power not only to slice up the human spirit, but it also has slicing power against your enemy, Satan. Let's read together from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So at the end of this verse, John says to the young men in the church, he says, you have overcome the evil one. You have defeated Satan. Isn't that awesome? That God gives us the power to defeat Satan. We have that kind of power. But at the same time, right before that statement, John says that the, the word of God abides in you. It, it lives in you. It's taken up residence in you. It controls your behavior. So let me ask you, do you think there is a, a connection between the word of God, the Bible, abiding in you and your ability to defeat Satan? Is there a connection there? Absolutely. If you're going to defeat the evil one, you need to have the Word of God, the Bible, abiding in you. And so, when the words of the Bible are spoken, the Holy Spirit empowers those words to penetrate our hearts, to penetrate the hearts of those who hear the Scripture, and also to penetrate even into the heart of our enemy, Satan. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4, we read that the Messiah will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The word of our Messiah, Jesus, is powerful. It defeats his enemies, and it will certainly defeat Satan by its spirit-giving power. Jesus has given you this weapon of the word of God that he himself used in battle. And now you need to use that word of God yourself. So church, let me ask you, what are you doing with this Bible? What are you doing with it? Are you reading it on a daily basis? Are you meditating on what you read? Are you memorizing it? Are you studying it? Sometimes Christians give excuses for not doing anything with the Bible. They will say, well, I'm too busy to read the Bible. I don't have time for that. Or they will say, I, I just don't understand the Bible. So why should I bother to read it? The church, God has given to you the same amount of time as everyone else on this planet. Do you have 15 minutes a day 
to read the Scripture. If you read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, you will be finished with the Bible by the end of the year. Wouldn't that be a great thing? To have read through the Bible in a whole year? And some people will say, well, I don't understand it. Well, let me tell you, our church has small groups available where you can sit and discuss the Bible with other believers so that you can understand the Bible. You can ask your questions and get help for understanding what's in the Bible itself. There really is no excuse for not knowing and reading the Scripture. But if you do read the Bible, if you do study it, what tremendous power is available to you to help you to overcome Satan, to win the war that you are fighting in? The Battle of Antietam in 1862 was the bloodiest day of the Civil War. Or for those of you who are from the South, you might refer to that as the War of Northern Aggression. But in 12 hours on that day, there were 10,000 Confederate casualties, and there were even more casualties on the Union side that day. The result of that particular battle was that General George McClellan was able to end Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland, and he forced Lee and the Confederate soldiers back across the Potomac River into Virginia. Now, why did General Lee lose this particular battle? Two Union soldiers had found a copy of Lee's battle plan and delivered them to General McClellan right before the battle. Church, our enemy's plans to tempt you and to defeat you have fallen into our hands. Do you know where we have the enemy's plans? Right here, right here in the scripture, we know what Satan is going to do to tempt us, to attack us. We have his plans right in the Bible. And as a result, we know what he is going to do. We know his strategies because they are found in the Bible. And we can then defeat our enemy, not just because we know his strategies, but because we have the power of the sword of the Spirit in our hands. We have that kind of power available to us. Church, use the sword. Don't let it stay on the shelf. Use it yourself if you want to have victory over the enemy. It is powerful in battle. Finally, you need praying in the Spirit for fighting against Satan. The importance of prayer for this battle against Satan is mentioned in verse 18, where Paul tells us that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. These verses teach us that the Christian soldier fights from a strange position. We fight from our knees. That sounds strange to us, doesn't it? We don't often see an army fighting from its knees, do we? Sounds strange to us as well because in verses 13 and 14, Paul tells the church three times to stand and fight against Satan, their enemy. So why does Paul tell us in verses 18 to 20 to fight from our knees? Because we are dependent on Almighty God for victory in this battle. We can't depend on ourselves to defeat the evil one. We must depend upon God and his power to give us victory. 
We need God's power to fight. And how important is prayer for this fight that we are doing? Notice how many times Paul uses the word all in verse 18. Take a moment to look at your your Bible and see how many times Paul uses the word all in verse 18. You see? Four times he tells us to use prayer. So how often are we to pray in our battle? All the time. With all prayer and supplication. With all perseverance. And for all the saints. If you want to make it safely on your journey to heaven, and you want other Christians that you know and love to make it safely on their journey to heaven, you need to pray. Without prayer, you are not going to make it. And so you need to be praying all of the time. Prayer is the last item on Paul's list that he gives us that we should use for our fight against Satan. Paul has told us every piece of armor that we need for defeating the enemy. He's given us all of this information so that we can have success against the evil one in battle. God has given us each piece of the armor so that we know that we can have victory in our battle. And God has also given to us the gift of prayer so that we can have his power to defeat Satan. So, the question remains, if God has given us his armor that will lead to success, if if God has given us also the powerful gift of prayer, why do we ever lose against Satan? Why do we lose to him if God has given us such wonderful gifts? Why? Because all of us have a heart problem. And it's this heart problem that Paul addresses by telling us in verse 18 that we need to pray in a certain way. We need to pray at all times. How? In the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? It means to pray for what the Holy Spirit wants and wills for our lives rather than what we want and will for our lives. It means to pray with a new heart. It means to pray asking the Holy Spirit to change our priorities, our affections, and our cravings so that we have a love for God that far outstrips our love for anything else in this world. When you have that kind of a passion for God, where His purposes and His plans are greater than anything else, that is when you're praying in the Holy Spirit. The reason we sometimes lose to Satan in battle is because of our hearts. We just don't want God enough. And that's why praying in the Holy Spirit is so important. The Holy Spirit empowers us to want God and to want God's purposes above everything else. I'd like us to read out loud a favorite promise that Christians like to Claim from Psalm 37 and verse 4. Let's read together. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what do you think this verse means? I've heard some Christians say that it means that if you love God, then God will give you whatever you want. That's what it means. Let me ask you this. Have you ever really wanted something 
and prayed to God with all of your heart, saying, God, I really want this. And God has answered no to your prayers. Has that ever happened? That happens to every Christian. None of us gets everything we ask for in prayer. <coughs> so here's what I think Psalm 37 and verse 4 means. If your heart delights in God more and more, if your passion is for God, more and more you're going to pray for the things that God wants and God wills. And guess what's going to happen for you as you pray in that way? God will be glorified. And God will answer your prayers. God will give to you the answer to your prayers as you pray for what he wants. <coughs> when your desires become God's desires, you will start praying in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will answer your prayers for victory over the enemy in powerful ways. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 19, 18 to 20, Paul asks for prayer that's something that God wants. Paul says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul asks for boldness and for clarity in speaking the gospel about Jesus and his salvation. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul would ask for this, for boldness. Paul was the writer of a third, or actually about a half of the New Testament. And yet Paul said that he needed prayer. He needed the church's powerful prayers in the Holy Spirit behind him so that he could boldly and clearly speak the gospel. Now, if Paul needed prayers for boldness, do you think that you and other people in the church also need prayers for boldness in speaking to people about Jesus? Do you need those prayers as well? I think we do. And I think that <clears throat> such boldness and clarity in speaking the gospel is what God wants as well. God wants all of us to clearly and boldly speak the gospel about Jesus. Why does God want this? Because hell is real. Hell is awful. And hell is for eternity. But do you know what else is real? Heaven is real. And Jesus and his love for you are real. Jesus' love for us is so great that we cannot even begin to measure it or to grasp how big it is for us. Our understanding, however, of Christ's love for us is going to grow and grow and grow when we are in heaven. It's going to grow so great so that our joy will be overwhelming when we are in heaven. Our joy is going to be so great that there will be times in heaven when we say to Jesus, Stop it. Lord, I can't take any more. Enough. My heart is going to burst with the knowledge of your love. That's what Jesus has waiting for us when we go to heaven. Jesus at this time wants more people to go to heaven. He wants to fill the population of heaven. And he wants to empty the population of hell. And so Jesus wants us to pray for boldness and clarity in speaking the gospel. 
So Paul wanted prayer for himself to do what God wanted, to speak the good news about Jesus clearly and boldly. Paul wanted prayer in the Spirit so that he could proclaim the good news about Jesus. Paul uses an interesting phrase to describe himself in verse 20. He calls himself there an ambassador in chains. Have you ever heard of an ambassador who was in jail? It's pretty unusual, isn't it? If an ambassador ever did go to jail, they probably wouldn't be an ambassador for very long. They'd be losing their job, right? But Paul really was in jail. He was in chains, he writes. And he was still an ambassador for Jesus, the King of Kings, even though he was in jail. Paul at this time was preparing to speak to the most powerful man in the world, to the Caesar at that time, to Nero. What was Paul going to talk to Nero about? He had one item and one item only on his agenda for his meeting with Nero. Jesus. That was the sum total of what he wanted to talk to Nero about. Nero needs to know Jesus. What an amazing opportunity that Paul had. He would have this opportunity because he and the Ephesian church were praying in the Spirit for God to give him boldness and clarity in speaking the gospel. I suspect that if you started to pray in the Spirit as well for God to give you and your Christian friends opportunities to tell other people about Christ, you too would be amazed at opportunities that God gives to you. Church, we are all pilgrim soldiers on a journey toward heaven. We are at war, and we are marching to heaven on our knees. So put on God's armor, take the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the Spirit, and make sure you take prayer for your journey as well. Pray in the Spirit at all times for all of the saints so that God's will and God's wants can be fulfilled. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given to us everything that we need for the fight that we are battling today. Thank you, O Lord, for the helmet of salvation. Thank you, O Lord, for the sword of the Spirit. And thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the power that it possesses to help us to win in our battle. So I pray that you would give us all that we need to fight, and I pray that we would fight hard, knowing that victory is guaranteed if we wear your armor and we go in the power of prayer. Amen.